Atmosphere Church podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we want to make ourselves available to you in any way we can. If you need prayer or just someone to talk with, please send us an email to info at atmosphere.church. Someone from our team will be sure to connect with you. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. How many of you have had a conversation with a friend, family member, uh, in the last year that started off pretty innocently and they decided to give you their opinion on a subject and then you decided to give your opinion on the subject and, and pretty soon the conversation got awkward. How many have been there in the last year or so? It, it happens. You know, I've been in conversations that started off real innocently, and I'm talking to people, and we're having this great, you know, conversation, fellowship, and then all of a sudden, before I know it, I mean, the boxing gloves are coming out. And, and it's like, I'm in this conversation, and, and they're, they're, they're wanting to fight me. You know, and it's just like, are you serious right now? They're like, yeah, what'd you mean by that? And there are people in this world that are so defensive on anything they say. And if you dare have an opinion that differs from their opinion, they're like, I will knock you out. Mama said, knock you out. You know, I, I want to knock you out. They're like, how dare you have some kind of opinion that is different than mine? See, I, I want to speak into this. Because as a pastor, I've been seeing this not just in our nation right now. Not, not just in our community. I've seen this not necessarily with our church, but I've seen this at the church at large where we're divided more than we're united. And we have to speak into this because God doesn't want us living like this. He wants us to take the boxing gloves off and he wants us to come together as his kids so that we can make a greater impact with our world. And in Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be reading about Joshua, who is in a position. He is the successor of Moses. He, he's in a position where he's now the leader of the Hebrew nation, and God has given him directive to go into the promised land and, and to take occupation. And he's going into this fortified city he's looking at. He's overwhelmed with it. And this is what he says in verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked to behold a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said, are you with us or are you with our adversaries? Immediately Joshua kind of drew a line in the sand and said there's really only two options. You're, you're either for us or you're against us. And, you know, division is a, is a part of kind of like our human existence. We're, we're going to have differences all the time. We're going to group each other. We're going to have opinions. But there is, this, there, there is this kind of this brokenness within ourselves that we do this all the time that we, we can't really kind of get this idea down that, hey, it's okay to have a different opinion. It's okay. If you don't agree with me, I'm okay with that. But see, Joshua is in this position like, hey, I understand this. 
that I have a side, and if you're not on my side, I need to be worried about you because that means that you're on the other side. And what I've noticed, and maybe this is true for Joshua or not, but I've noticed in our culture, it's not just like whether we agree or disagree with somebody. There's another level. There's like, there's like a super ingredient being added in our culture right now called antagonism. Have you heard of that word? That means I, I am directly opposed to your view and I'm going to do whatever I can to come against this view. And this spirit of antagonism has poured gasoline on the areas that have divided us. And how do you know that you've run into a person that's been bit by a spirit of antagonism? I, have, I, I call them red flag warnings. And you may have had run-ins with people over the last year or so that are like this. Uh, a person that is running with the spirit of antagonism is a person that believes their view is superior to the view of other people. They'll, they'll eat, I call it an elitist mentality, like, <laughs> well, one day you will understand the real truth here and, and how you need to see things like I do. Uh, and another way of seeing it is a person is highly critical of others and tends to vocalize their criticism of others to others. So you're getting in conversations, and they're always bringing up other people and, and shaming them. And, and as uh, the, the young people these days say, they're throwing shade on these other people, saying, hey, they're, they're not right. And they're always belittling the people that differ in their opinions. Here, here's another sign. A person is very argumentative about all kinds of things. They, they, it seems like they always have their boxing gloves on, and they're always wanting to debate no matter what the topic is. Let me tell you, some people love debate. But I will tell you, for those of you that are the debaters in the crowd, most people find it annoying and want to run away from you. <laughs> I'm just going to say it because that's how the majority of people feel when you want to debate and argue and make your case. Most people just want to tune you out and you know, turn on you know, something on TV and get away from it. Here, here's another sign. As a person cannot simply agree to disagree. They, they can't let it go. And Jesus said himself that a house divided won't stand. So this is important for us to address the spirit of antagonism because we got to push through this. Unity doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose. So we have to be intentional to push against these things that are, that are telling us that if somebody doesn't agree with me, they're my enemy. Like Joshua was like, if, you, if you're not with me, you're against me. Don't think because someone doesn't agree with you that they're necessarily wrong. Maybe they're right and, and you're wrong. How dare you say that? Hey, it happens sometimes. But here's what this soldier that Joshua is addressing, this is what he says. Verse 14, he said, no. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to a servant? This is what Bible scholars and theologians call a Christophany. It is a place or a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Christ is making an appearance. And Joshua recognizes that it's the Lord. And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So I love what the angel of the Lord says. 
in response, Joshua, are you for us or are you for them? And the angel of the Lord says, neither. I choose option C, which is I'm for the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, take your shoes off because what you're standing on is the place beyond us versus them. And I really believe as God's kids, God wants us all living in this place, a place that is beyond us versus them. And what we've been equipped with, we've been equipped with weapons from heaven to completely disarm the principalities of division that are in our midst that are trying to destroy our lives. There are families that I know, church, that have not spoken to one another since the 2016 election. This is reality. This is, this is you know, getting in with, uh, you know, with our nation. This is getting in with our church. This is a problem that needs to be addressed. And here are the weapons that we've been talking about. I call it God's three-point shot to end the game of division. His three-point shot, we talked about harmony. And this is God's weapon against our differences. He wants us to harmonize our differences and that we're different from one another on purpose by God so that we could show the beauty of God in our diversity. And then we talked about the other weapon of, ho of hospitality. And, and the, the beauty of hospitality is that Every one of us has an in-group and an out-group, and God wants us to show in-group love to our out-group, and we do this in all kinds of different ways, but mainly by bringing in the people that are different than us, that are outside of us, and, and that we label as a stranger, and we bring them in, and we love them. And here's the third weapon we want to talk about this morning, and that is the weapon of humility. It's a weapon, and it's the weapon to address the opinions that all of us have, we all have opinions. Let's talk about some of those opinions. Man, there are some major political opinions out there. And you're not gonna hear them at our church. You're gonna have them, but we're not gonna really talk about political opinions. Because we really believe in only one true perfect government, and that is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, it is messed up. It's broken on both sides. Then we have sports opinions. Okay, on three, tell me your favorite team. Ready? One, two, three. I heard the Raiders? Come on. We have our opinions. Greatest basketball player of all time. Kobe? Michael? LeBron? I don't know. There are all kinds of opinions. Health opinions. Church opinions. Food opinions. Now, let's add to it mask opinions. You should wear a mask. You should never wear a mask. When you're, I'm going to unfriend you by your opinion about mask wearing. But can we all agree that sometimes our opinions can sound ridiculous when we're trying to disagree with somebody that shares a different opinion than we do? And do you know we are not the first generation to have to address differences of our opinions because it goes all the way back to the Bible in Romans chapter 14. There's a chapter in our Bibles that are devoted to talking about what do you do when you are trying to come together and worship God and be all about the kingdom of God with people that have such a wide range of opinions. Paul says, hey, I, I've got a solution for you. And so he writes this chapter to the church in Rome in chapter 14. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation because I love how it, 
it words this. Chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Offer an open hand of fellowship to welcome every true believer, even though their faith may be weak and immature, and refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. <laughs> so there were some opinions circulating in Paul's day when he's writing this letter to the church. Now it goes on in this chapter to address the opinions that were really prevalent in that time. There was a belief that a lot of people had that there were these meats and these animals being sacrificed to idols that, hey, you know, as a follower of Jesus, as a person that loves God, you don't touch that meat. And there are some people that, were, that had really strong opinions about it to where if they saw you eating meat, they would immediately label you as a non-believer. That you must not lo love God because you're eating meat. Like nobody that loves God would eat meat like this. And then there was another subject that was really kind of stirring the pot. It was the idea of what day was really the holy day to recognize. And so people had differing opinions about what day they should recognize as a holy day. So Paul's like calling a timeout. <laughs> it's like, and I feel like I've been doing this a lot lately, where it's like, break it up, you two. Like, stop, knock it off. Because when we're fighting on these opinions, it just doesn't look good on anybody. So Paul's saying, break it up, you guys. Because what you're talking about here is opinions that really, in, in the big picture of things, are pretty ridiculous whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, whether you make this day holy and, and not make this other day holy. In verse 10, I'll pick up there, it says, why would you judge your brothers or sisters because of their diet, despising them for what they eat or don't eat? For we each will have our turn to stand before God's judgment seat. Just as it is written, as surely as I am the living God, I tell you, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess the truth and glorify me. Therefore, each one must answer for himself and give a personal account of his own life before God. So all of these things that we're arguing about, all these differing opinions are really not going to matter. When we're standing before God Almighty, those things are going to be minimalized quick. Therefore, each one must answer for himself and give an, a personal account for his own life before God. So stop being critical and condemning of each other, uh, of other believers, but instead determine to never deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. I know, and I'm convinced by personal revelation from the Lord Jesus, that there's nothing wrong with eating any food. How many would say amen to that? But... To the one who considers it to be unclean, it is unacceptable. If your brother or sister is offended because you insist on eating what you want, it is no longer love that rules your conduct. Why would you wound someone for whom the Messiah gave his life just so you can eat what you want? So don't give people the opportunity to slander what you know to be good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy, serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities. I love that. Pleases God and earns the respect of others. So then make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. And that good? You have opinions and you're entitled 
to your opinion. But your opinion can also get in the way of the bigger picture of what God may be wanting to do with your life. That God is surrounding you with people all the time that are far from him. And your opinions actually may create some sideways energy so that you take the focus off the kingdom of God. God wants us living in this place beyond us versus them so we can keep the kingdom of God highlighted above all else because all other things are pointless and meaningless. Now, there are things, and I don't want you to get me wrong, there are things that, that Paul would go on to write and say, hey, no, these are fighting words. Like, I, I'm not going to let you just throw these words off without coming against them. The truth of the gospel, for example. Paul would say, the death of Christ, that, that Christ died for us, that, that is something I, I will be willing to die for, that Christ died for us. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that's something that Paul would say, hey, that's worth debating about. The lordship of Christ, Paul would say, that's worth arguing about. But these other opinions that we all have, he goes, those aren't really essential to what we're supposed to be about. I like what one 16th century theologian said. And you gotta remember, in the 16th century within the church, there was all kinds of divisions that were happening within the church. The Reformation move happened, but it wasn't just the, the Protestant movement breaking off from the, the, the Catholic movement. There were all kinds of things even uh, dividing within the Protestant movement. And this is what he says, and this is so true today, and we need to get this down. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. There's the sun. Here comes the sun, do 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 do. All right, it's going. It's about ready to get hot in here. My iPad's going to melt. But this is important for us to get our arms around. That humility is God's weapon against this problem of dominating opinions in our life. Because here's what happens. We can get so locked into our opinion that we actually start looking down on other people that don't share our exact opinion. Happens all the time. And what humility does, think about the word humility. It means to lower yourself for the sake of another person. So it kind of gets you into position. You're not locked in looking down on somebody that, that sees something differently. You're actually positioning yourself in a lower position so that you can actually help build bridges of unity even in the midst of differing opinions in your life. And God promises us something. He says, when you live a life of humility, I'm in that. Because God is a God of humility. Think about what God did for us. He sent his son down. He lowered himself to this world, it says in Philippians chapter 2, to be with us, to be among us as God. It's amazing. So when we start humbling ourselves with other human beings, we get God's attention quick. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in Luke 14, 11, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled or will be lowered, and those who humble themselves or lower themselves will be exalted. So when you lower yourself, God promises to lift you up. That's the promise of God. If you want to be lifted up by God, you, you have to learn what it means to be humble. And when it comes to this idea of building unity and, and weaponizing yourself by the kingdom of God to come against division, 
then I want to focus on what I call the Beatitudes 2020 edition. The Holy Spirit has been showing me over and over again as I've been leaning in to God on how to respond to so much antagonism that I am seeing around my life. The Holy Spirit has been showing me these principles so that I might be able to stay humble, so that I can be a weapon of heaven to help disarm the principalities that are trying to divide us, trying to divide our families, trying to divide our nation, and trying to divide the church. So write these down because I think these are so good for us to look at and apply directly to our lives to help bring out that humility that God has placed in. Number one is be patient. That's a word none of us really like to hear, right? Because we know that we could always use a little bit more patience with everything in our world. But I want us to extend that patience towards other people and where they're at in life. I, I want us to always be thinking that the best is yet to come for our life. And I want to speak that over somebody's life that's here. Your best is yet to come. Don't let the, tell, don't let the devil tell you any different. Your best is still yet to come. But I don't want us to be so locked in to what is going to happen for our life that we forget where we came from. And church, I see this all the time. I see people that have been involved in church for years and decades, and a new person will come into the church, and they'll have these wild opinions. And some people that are part of the church feel like it's their obligation that God has deputized them to tell them the truth. They need to know the truth. I need to set them straight. You know what? And I'm not coming against that necessarily, but there is a time and then there's a way of being able to speak that into people's lives. But you know what I've learned over the years? I make a terrible Holy Spirit. You know what I mean by that? The Holy Spirit is here in this earth and inside of us to convict us so that we can get closer and closer with God. And a lot of times when I try to do the work of the Holy Spirit and I try to convict people and I try to get people to see things the way I think they need to see them, I actually work against what God's trying to do with that person. And a lot of times that I've done this and I've been guilty of doing this, instead of actually helping that person get closer to God, I actually push them further away from God. I've been guilty of pushing somebody so hard that they walk right out the doors of the church. You know how many people in the last probably 10 years have said, I, I haven't been back to church because the church hurt me. And I'm sure if I were to go back and investigate those situations, it, it probably wasn't an intentional hurt. Maybe it was, but most of the time it's probably not. It's some innocent-minded person saying, I need to set them straight. I need to tell them the truth. I need to tell them that their opinion is terrible. And here's the reality. When people come into a gathering like this, there is a spectrum of maturity represented here. There are people here that haven't even decided to become a follower of Jesus yet. They're, st they're just checking it out. They're kicking the tires. They're test driving a little bit going, hey, is Christianity real? Is, is this worth like surrendering my life for? There's others that, that are here that are, maybe they've been following God for a little bit. They're still really young and, and they're still learning and they're like a little kid on Christmas every time we have church going, wow, that's so cool, I didn't know that. And then there's others of you that like, you were literally born in the church. They're like, I, I do this every Sunday. Like, oh yeah, I've heard that message a, a thousand times before. But what I wanna do is I wanna remind us in this area of humility 
to be patient. Because as much as I will say that this is a training center so that we can learn how to get more and more close with Jesus, that this is also a trauma center. That we never know who's coming in here. And we made it our mission from day one to be a church that is aware that we're a trauma center. That every week that people are coming in here, they're coming in broken, bruised, and bleeding. And we want to be there to be a trauma center to help bandage them up and see the love of Jesus heal them of their hurts that they've had maybe their entire lives. So as much as we're a training center, I want you to know that we're also a trauma center. And you never know who's going to come in here. So you love them right where they're at. And you trust the process. Can we trust the process? That God does a pretty good job in revealing who he is to people's lives. I've learned to trust the process. In, In the Bible, that word there is called sanctification. It's a process that God takes us on to change us from who we are to who he wants us to become. How many would say you're still in the process? Oh, I am. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I'm still in the process. I'm not the same guy I was a year ago. I'm not the same guy I was five years ago. God is continuing to change me. So let's give God room to bring somebody into a church gathering like this that sees the world completely different than us and give God the room. Let the Holy Spirit do the talking. And we could do most of the listening. And see at the proper time, God will allow us to maybe speak a truth and it will be really, really well received. I've learned a term in the last five years and I think it's worthy for you to write down in your notes. Write this term down, progressive revelation. Write that term down, progressive revelation. What that tells me is that as we progress in our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, revealing to us more and more who God is and what he's up to with our lives. So there are revelations that you're walking in today that a year ago you had no clue about. You were completely blind to it. But now, because you've walked with the Lord a year later, you've been spending time with him, worship has been just grabbing your heart, and and he's revealed more and more to you. It's progressive revelation. If I were to grab you, you know, the the future you from a year today, there there may be some of you that are just stuck in an opinion that if I were to jump in a DeLorean, because that's what time machines are made out of, uh, if I were to jump in a DeLorean and go to 2021, some of you would have completely different opinions on matters. And you would be able to say, man, I just was so unaware last year in that, that certain situation. It's called progressive revelation. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is going to be something that is constant in your life. And be patient with somebody that is not as far on the journey as you are. And just know they're coming up just like you are coming up. Here's the second B. Write this down. Be teachable. So we are to walk in this patience, to be patient, and we are to be teachable. I call this keeping your notebook open. The humble people always have their notebook open and they're always a learner. And I get it. There's some very educated people that I'm talking to right now. I mean, you've been in school for years. You have all kinds of degrees. And I am a big fan and and advocate of education. But just because you have a degree doesn't mean you're, you're done learning. 
You're a learner because you're a disciple. A disciple is a learner. So you're going to be constantly learning through your whole process of life. And there are truths that you haven't really had revealed to you just quite yet. And there may be somebody that God's going to put in your life that may have less education than you. They may have not been as a follower of Jesus as long as you have. I will tell you, I have learned probably more in the last five years from new followers of Jesus than I have in a lot of books that I've read, listening to perspectives of people that are just fresh in their faith in God. And uh, the crows are talking to each other. Do you guys hear that? It's amazing to me how, as we look at this idea of being able to learn, that God will take babies in faith and actually use them as the biggest teachers for our life. Some of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, I encourage you, go find a new believer in Jesus and hang out with them a little bit. Because there are some things they're gonna teach you that you already knew, but that you haven't been walking in, that you've forgotten about, and they'll remind you of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, it says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. I love that. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So the metaphor is that life is like looking in this dimly lit mirror that we're not seeing perfectly. We don't see that reflection perfectly yet. You're, you're in a process, you're, you're being transformed, and things are not quite crystal clear to you yet. So you are still by definition, because you can't see crystal clear, and you're not gonna be clear until you are in front of Jesus, then there's still things to learn. I remember the first time I went to an eye doctor appointment. This, I was in my 20s, and I was driving down the highway, and a friend was driving with me, and he was like, hey, there's the, there's the sign right there. And I go, I can't read that. He goes, are you kidding me? You can't read that sign? I go, no. He goes, you need to go to an eye doctor. So I went to the eye doctor and I told him, I, I'm having a problem seeing signs far away. And they say, yeah, you probably need some glasses. And so they put me in front of this machine. Most of you know the drill, right? They put the lenses in front of you, one or two, one or two, right? And, and then they do this drill. And I remember sitting in that chair going, are you kidding me? Like these, these letters were so blurry and these lenses started dropping and things started getting crystal clear. I was like, wow, oh, like I can see. This is great. This is awesome. Listen, God will bring people into your life so that you can have a clear vision of who God is and what God is up to with your life. Don't ever look down on anyone regardless, because every voice has value. Write that down. Every voice has value. He says, here's three things that I know about you. You don't know everything. Some of you think you do, and you just annoy us. Number two, you're figuring things out continuously. And number three, you're not always right on a subject. It's just true. So here's the question with this point about humility. Do you have a teachable spirit? One of the chief 
characteristics I look for in leaders as a church is a teachable spirit. If somebody's coming off that they don't have a teachable spirit, I tend to stay away from them. Because the moment you put yourself in a position that you feel like you can't receive from somebody is a moment you lose what it means to be humble. Can, you, can we all receive that, church? This is, this is so good for all of us, regardless of the season that we're in. And here's the third, the, the third revelation that I really feel the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about when it comes to humility is be a servant. So we're patient, we're teachable, but we're also servants. Be a servant. I like this quote that I saw this week. Never look down on anybody unless you're helping them up. Oh, isn't that good? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, that's good. Don't ever look down on anybody unless you're helping them up. Let me tell you, when you serve somebody, you're elevating your platform to speak into that person's life like nothing else that you can do in your life. When you actually reach down and you help them in whatever the case is that they are going through in life, you are giving yourself a platform to build a bridge to speak truth into them like nothing else that you can do. This last month, as I prepared for this this series, I read this book that came out last year called The Church of Us Versus Them by an author named David Fitch. Never read any of his books. But he was just speaking into the space that we're talking about, living in a place beyond us versus them. And he mentions this experiment that happened with some psychologists back in the 1950s. It was called the Robber's Cave Experiment. And, and the, the guy that, that held the experiment, the sociologist named Musafar Sheriff, he organized a camp for 22 boys at Robber's Cave State Park in Oklahoma. He laid out the campground so that there would be two cabins, each sleeping 11 campers, plus a counselor. The cabins were far enough apart that each side could not see or hear the, the other side. Each had its own swimming, boating, and recreational areas, and the campers were all the same age, came from similar socioeconomical and church backgrounds, and had similar grades in school. When they arrived at the campground, they were immediately separated into two groups that occupied the two different cabins. Each group participated in its own activities collectively. By the end of the first week, the campers had, begun, had become two very distinct groups with their own leaders, rules for behavior, and names the Rattlers and the Eagles. Beginning in the second week, the campers were allowed to run into each other around the campground. At one point, both of the groups wanted to play baseball at the one baseball diamond in the campground, and an argument broke out. This began a pattern. They challenged one another regularly in sports and other competitions. According to Sheriff, an us-versus-them mentality took over the two groups of 11-year-old boys. Name-calling ensued. One side burned the flag of the other side. The act was repeated by the other side. They raided each other's cabins that night, turning over beds, ripping mosquito netting. One night, the Rattlers and the Eagles met for an all-out fistfight. These are 11-year-olds, complete with sticks, bats, and socks filled with stones. Had it not been for the counselor stepping in, surely there would have been injuries. In the last stage of the experiment, and this is a controversial experiment, by the way, the experimenters tried to bring the two sides together. They planned casual get-togethers like watching movies and eating meals. Group members continued to call each other names, serve food at each other, and refused to associate with those on the other side. Nothing changed until, check this out, a series of crises broke out. And they were produced by the experimenters. They forced the Rattlers and the Eagles to work together. For instance, when their drinking water was blocked, the two groups had to work together to unblock the water at its source and release its flow back into the pipes. When they ran low on supplies 
and it was about to rain, the two sides had to quickly pull their resources to eat an adequate meal and get through the night. Each time they joined together for a common goal, they would grow closer and the division among them would diminish. This is what we call and we refer to as shared experience. And this is what I love about serving the church or in the church is because when you're serving in the church, (laughs) you are serving with people that I guarantee you are a lot different than you that may be on your outgroup, that may have different opinions about all kinds of different subjects, but yet you're coming together for a common goal. We're gonna set church up. We're gonna get together, we're gonna unload the trailer. By the way, we need some more of you guys. We're gonna unload the trailer, we're gonna set it up. We're gonna take it down, we're gonna put it away. I'm gonna greet, I'm I'm gonna just welcome people that are coming into church. We need some more greeters. Can I just tell you right now, there's always room for one more volunteer to serve the Lord within his body, always. So don't ever think like we have enough volunteers. We never have enough, all right? I'm just gonna say that right there, all right? But here's the beauty of serving, is when you start setting up umbrellas or speakers, when you start you know, greeting people, it doesn't matter what your life experience has been. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of whether you're a new believer or a very seasoned, mature believer. It doesn't matter. You guys are coming together. You're talking about the Lord. You're talking about God's kingdom. And we're being unified in the midst of serving. This is where I see this all the time. I'll have guys that are very wealthy serving right next to somebody that's been homeless for a couple years. And they get along great. I'll see cops serving right alongside felons. And they get along because they're serving God. I'll see people with, with all kinds of different walks of life represented. And they'll serve together. Hey, I, whether you're a Trump lover or Trump hater, when it comes to the church, you guys serve together and it's a beautiful thing. But the idea is it's found in serving. And think about what serving is. Serving is stooping down so that you can help somebody else stand up. That's what serving is all about. Jesus demonstrated this. He taught his disciples how to walk in this. And we are commanded in scripture after scripture after scripture, serve one another. Some of you are stuck in in very antagonistic arguments because you are not walking in the humility that God wants you walking in. You're not building bridges of unity that he wants you building. And when you humble yourself, when you're patient, when when you're teachable, when you're serving, I'm telling you, there there is going to be a a level of humility coming from your life that is going to make everybody want to be around you. Because people are going to recognize that you are a peacemaker. And people want to be around those kind of people. And God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. But when we're most satisfied in him, we are positioned in a place of humbling ourselves out for other people so that they can be a part of our lives. As the band comes up and as we get ready to to just end our gathering, end our series about living in a place beyond us versus them, I want to challenge you on something. There's no doubt that in your life, you're going to come in contact 
with a very fiery situation, even a volatile relationship. And it's, and it's gonna be very fiery. It's gonna be an inferno in some cases. And in that situation, as a follower of Jesus, you have the options. Am I gonna come into this situation recognizing it for what it is? It's very destructive, fire's destructive like that. Am I gonna be somebody that pours water on this fire and build peace and build unity? Or am I gonna put some gasoline on it and really let it go, really watch it burn? And your response to the conflict, your response to the division is what really gives us the ability to see, am I being a water pourer or am I being a gasoline pourer? Because the Bible says in Romans 12, it says, as much as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. That tells me that's not always possible, but do your part. There is a part that we play into building that bridge of peace to pour out that water on a very fiery situation. And again, it's okay to agree to disagree. And there's going to be some people that, that that's not going to satisfy them because they're in that spirit of antagonism. But do your part to bring peace into that situation. Some of you right now, there's conflict happening in your life. And God is using this message to speak directly into you to say, how are you pouring water on this fiery situation? I'm telling you, relationships right now are going to be restored because you're going to decide today to be a water pourer instead of a gasoline pourer. As far as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at www.atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click on the tab that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. Mm -hmm.